Okay, so uh, for today uh, and uh, the next couple couple weeks, we're going to focus on the theme of the cross of Christ. There is probably, uh, that's probably a very prominent theme, obviously, in the scriptures and the, the purpose and the place of the cross. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to just talk about it as the, what I'm calling the foreshadowed cross. It was, this is not an afterthought where God was taken by surprise when the Romans did what they did, and Jesus was was uh, run through this trial, this mock trial, if you will, and, and, and scourged and crucified, all the stuff that we know that's a part of the Easter story, uh, Good Friday Easter story. It was not. It didn't take him by surprise. It was. It was. It was anticipated. It was a foreshadow, and even as we'll look at one Old Testament story, uh, as we as we uh, look at that uh, portion of scripture this morning. So I want to focus on upon the cross of Christ. Uh, when you stop to think about it, um, there are a lot of songs that we probably grew up with that have to do with the cross. Okay, uh, things like uh, "At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away." See, I hear you. I hear you singing. Yeah, See, it's stuff you're familiar with. Uh, a more stately hymn, in the cross of Christ I glory. And that didn't sound real well, but that's the, thought, that's the idea there uh, in the cross of Christ. Um, and, 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 and you can you can think of other hymns that probably come like this that focus upon the cross of Christ. And that is a key piece for us, uh, because without the cross of Christ, there would have been no Easter uh, and and you can talk about the Christmas story, but without that Easter story, that's a whole—it's half the story. So it's the whole picture. So um, I don't know when you were when you were growing up. Were you? Uh, I, I attended this little Bible church. I didn't know a whole lot about it. It was a Baptist. I didn't know that till much later. But regardless of its denominational flavor, uh, uh, when when you as a kid went there, they gave you a Bible. Did you ever get a Bible when you went to church? Someone gave you, uh, you know, maybe you were in a class or something like that, or because you came there and maybe you didn't have a Bible, and, and so they gave you one. And the thing that was interesting to me was the pictures in the Bible. Did you have any pictures in your Bible? Do you remember, what picture do you remember in a Bible that you've been given or that you had, maybe as a kid or something like that? What pictures? Do you remember any of the pictures that were there? Daniel and the lion's den. Okay. Any other pictures come to mind? Huh? The angels. Okay. Okay. Tomb of the stone rolled away. Okay. They're, I don't know how they select them. I don't know. But you know, oddly enough, the Bible that I got when I was a kid had a picture in it. And the picture was these people out in the desert. And there was this kind of like pole with a snake on it. Now, I don't know what that does. I, I don't like snakes, you know. I'm, I'm not, not, not a big snake fan. I, I watch, uh, sometimes I watch a program called Lone Star thing. It's, it's like one of these uh, Texas game warden kinds of things. And in certain parts uh, of Texas, you can't just go kill a snake. They're protected. I thought, what kind of dummy rule is that, you know? If I have to choose between my kid and a 
rattlesnake, I know which one I'm going to choose, you know, kind of thing. But anyway, you, you can't go ahead and do that. You have to call the game wardens, and they come and they deal with it. So anyway, so um, snakes and me don't get along real well. So when I would see this picture, I think, boy, that's a strange kind of thing. And it was a picture of people that were laying on the ground, and they were in pain and, and anguish, and, and they were supposed to look up to this serpent that was on a pole. It's an odd picture to put in a Bible for a kid. At least it was. It seemed to be odd for me, but it was. But it made an impression. It stuck. And so, uh, as I gave thought to that, uh, it kind of started wheels to turning. I'm like, what's that all about? So this morning, I'd like to look at that foreshadowed cross story and then just kind of go into some uh, additional uh, truth. So you need to go to the Old Testament. That's the that's go to the middle and turn left and go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. I'm going to read just a portion of it, verses 4 through 9. And then we'll just move through uh, the, the foreshadowed cross of Christ. So here's where we begin. Verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Um, I want to look at this portion. First, the cross of Christ foreshadowed. It's foreshadowed in this wilderness wandering. Now, you probably know enough about the story of the Exodus and then the promise of God to bring them into the land, and then the journey that they go through, uh, kind of like 40 laps around Sinai, um, to try to get there because they had some problems paying attention and being obedient to what God asks them to do along the journey. So we run into this situation here in the 21st chapter, and they're going around a particular country that God, uh, Edom, the community, a country, a regional group that God said, I don't want you to go in and destroy them. I want you, for whatever purposes you have in mind, I just want you to go right around it. So don't don't go in and annihilate. Don't do some of the things I ask you to do in other situations. We're going to do it different, this one. So they do that. They try to honor that. They honor that, that purpose. So they get in this situation, and and that's that's first. The situation they're running into. Uh, they've been obedient to go around, but now some things begin to occur. And they have really short memories. I am sure glad that I don't have a short memory when it comes to God. Well, maybe I do. Maybe you do, too. I guess we all do. When it comes to learning the lessons sometimes, we don't always do it the way that we should do. And so you have their response that's in this particular story. If you were to back up to Numbers chapter 11, you'll find that this is not the first time that they've been in a situation in which things got tough and they started to crab or complain. I sure am glad that I don't crab and complain every time something happens to me. Well, except that maybe 
we do do that. Uh, and, and so that's the way they were responding. In the, in the previous chapter, talk about short memories. The 20th chapter is this wonderful story how God provides for the people by, by, through a rock. And uh, admittedly, Moses doesn't quite get it straight, and he hits the rock instead of speaking to the rock that God told him to do. But water comes out, but they forget that. And it's like the, the ink isn't even chapter dry on chapter 20, and chapter 21 pops up. It's like they're, they're just not getting it. So the response here it shows up in several words. In the study outline, you can you know, jot these down. You'll find them in the, script, the scripture as well. They were, they were impatient. They were blaspheming God, speaking against him. They were speaking against Moses, and they were despising God's provision. God had made the provision for them, but they just didn't like it. They didn't like the stuff and, and the language of it. He says, we, we hate this stuff. Why have you brought us out here? There's no bread. There's, there's no water. We detest this miserable food. You know, it seemed to me when God provided bread from heaven, that was sufficient for them, that that would have been sufficient. But but no, they, they didn't like the cereal that they had, so they wanted frosted wheat squares instead of shredded wheat. Or they want, wanted something else. They were never satisfied. Sometimes, like us, we tend to get dissatisfied quickly. We tend to forget. And so that's their response. And so God says, okay, you can do this. This is your choice. But here's what's going to happen. And the scriptures say he sent these serpents, these fiery serpents, and probably just inflammation from their bites and poisonous. Obviously, they die, some of them anyway. He sends them among the people. And I don't know that every time something disastrous happens that God's saying, Mom, I'm going to get you. I'm going to make you squirm a little bit. You know, I don't think that's the intent of the heart of God. But sometimes he does allow us in our disobedience to stew in our own juices. Sometimes that happens. Have you, have you stopped long enough to think about times when maybe you've deliberately disobeyed God, experienced the consequence of that action, and then complained to God for bringing the consequence of the action upon your life? It makes not a lot of sense, but it's the kind of thing that we sometimes often do. So hopefully we can learn from the lessons and, and pay attention, be grateful for what God has provided. But God's remedy here in this situation is a snake on a pole. He says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put this pole. I want you to put this snake on it. And the people can make their response then. And his remedy is that snake on a pole. And his invitation is you can look at that snake and live. Look and live. If they did not look they were going to die. But they could look and live. And in this foreshadowed wilderness wandering story, there's, there's some stuff there that I think will be helpful for us. God sometimes will allow things to come into our lives that may not be our first choice. As a matter of fact, they may be my last choice, you know, that may come. God will allow things to come into our life. Um, not as punishment. In this case, it was a consequence of their decisions. But not, not because he's cruel or mean or, or you know, trying to burn, burn us up in some way, but to get our attention surely and help us to make a positive response so that we look 
and live. In any, in any journey that you are on, in terms of following after God, he wants you to look to him and experience life in him. And that's the message of the cross. It's foreshadowed in this Old Testament story. And uh, uh, certainly the Gospel of John uh, capitalizes on it. And, and, it, and he talks about uh, in the third chapter how uh, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man has to be lifted up uh, for us to look and live today. Now, how you choose to make the application is entirely up to you, but I would simply suggest this. Wherever you're at in the journey, wherever you're at in terms of whether you're close to God, whether you're far from him, whether you're on the inside looking out or on the outside looking in, he's longing to draw you closer to him. And if you are on a journey and you just don't haven't come to that place where you've received Christ or you've acknowledged his provision for you and received him as your personal savior this is this is a look and live account this is a look and live story and you need to be looking to Jesus Hebrews will describe him as the author and the finisher of your faith you need to keep your eyes focused upon him whatever your problems whatever your needs are and I I don't know those needs. I, I you know I pick up a few things here and there, just some challenges maybe you're facing. But but certainly God knows those needs, and all He asks you to do is look. And when you look, there will be life. When you look, there will be life. Uh, so that cross of Christ is foreshadowed in the wilderness wanderings. It's also foretold in the predictions of Jesus. Again, Jesus comes, is born, made flesh, dwells among us, lives His life begins a public ministry, and for less than three years in that public ministry goes from a very popular person to a very persecuted person and goes from from a cradle to a cross, might be one way to describe it, in the process there. Uh, He foretells predictions about what's coming. Um, In the New Testament, there is that place of the prophetic role, and Jesus prophesies the stuff that's going to happen to him. So uh, there are two things about that predictive work of Jesus that I want to draw to your attention this morning. One is the necessity of his sacrifice. This was not an afterthought. This was something that was foretold. It was by type. The serpent lifted up, the the son of man lifted up and put on a cross. It's kind of foreshadowed, but here it's predicted and the the necessity of his sacrifice. Mark chapter 8 puts it this way. Jesus is teaching. He says, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. This is before that whole last week occurs. He says, I'm, I'm, this is going to happen. Mark chapter 9, a little bit later, he says, says to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. 
Mark chapter 10, we are going up to Jerusalem. Again, before the crucifixion occurs, we're going up to Jerusalem. He says, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. There are three portions in the Gospel of Mark, the briefest gospel of them all, where it highlights the prediction of the necessity of his sacrifice. He did this not because he wanted to. He did this because he needed to. He did this because you needed him to do that, because there's no way that you could ever earn or merit you're standing before God. It didn't. Nothing seemed to work. We have short memories. We forget. We're ingrateful. We're just an, an, an ungrateful people. And, and it seems like the longer we live, the more we see that kind of thing that goes on. God needed to provide for us. And so the necessity of his sacrifice is, is highlighted in those predictions. Also, the manner of his sacrifice. And, and again, referring back to uh, the Old Testament story as well. Uh, but here in the Gospel of John, for instance, there's some scriptures that talk about uh, Jesus says in John 8, 28, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. John chapter 8, John chapter 12, but, when, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. John chapter 18, Pilate said, take him yourselves, judge him by your own law. We have no right to execute anyone, said the Jews, or they objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, it says, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified on the third day he will rise to life. Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Now those are all scriptures that focus in not only on the necessity of that sacrifice, but the manner of it. Um, at some point in time, unless the Lord comes back, we are all going to pass from this life. But you likely cannot tell me now how that's going to happen. I, I suppose you could probably entertain the thoughts of taking your own life and you've got it all planned out. That's, that's the ultimate act of arrogance. Don't even go there. But the point is that sometimes we don't always get to choose how we exit this world. There are people that show up in statistics, in automobile accident reports in the newspaper that weren't planning on that. It wasn't on their agenda for the day. But sometimes those things, you don't always get to choose that. Here, Jesus is predicting this is the way in which I'm going to exit this world. The manner and the necessity of his sacrifice. It was not anything that took him by surprise. The cross of Christ foretold. And one other piece is the cross of Christ forefront in the preaching 
of the New Testament church. Um, I'm, I'm leaning, I, I, I'll ask your prayer for wisdom, I'm leaning that after we conclude this particular series on the cross, I'd like to probably move to the book of Acts in an expository thing. So we'll just kind of sit in that book and just work through it section by section by section. That's I, I like to do that. So I'm leaning that way. And unless God puts the brakes on and gives me a different direction, that's where I'm kind of going, sensing his direction. Okay? So know that's coming. But in the preaching of the New Testament church in the book of Acts, you have this particular theme about the cross of Christ again. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn over to Acts chapter 2. And uh, like I say, I suspect at some point in time we'll eventually end up in this particular book. But Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. So find your way over there. Unless you can punch all the buttons on your smartphone to get there quicker than I can. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. So here is the sermon of Peter addressing the, the crowd in the second chapter. And on verse, uh, in verse 22, he says this, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Boy, talk about a lot of theology packed into two verses. It, it, it talks about a lot of pieces, a lot of pieces. Their preaching, the preaching of the church, declared that the cross was no afterthought in the mind and in the heart of God. This was not a surprise. This is not something that he thought, well, I guess it's out of control, and this is what happens. He, he foreshadows the cross. Jesus foretells his coming manner and, and the, the means by which he is to be crucified. The purpose, the ultimate design of that, it's all a part of, of the ministry of the church. And so when they come, when, when Peter is preaching to this group of people, he lays it right flat in their lap to understand that this was something in which uh, they were not guiltless in the process. Verse 20, on the process, verse 20, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and form knowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. In other words, the preaching declared the complicity of people with the death of Christ, even though they weren't the ones that nailed him to the tree. They weren't the ones that were the actual executioners. They were complicit in that because he was handed over and it was the ultimate responsibility of these people of Israel, uh, men of Israel, as he is addressed in verse 22, that they were responsible for his death by nailing him to the cross. Now, we might think we get a pass because we... Uh, we weren't there. We weren't there. I'm, I'm 2,000 years after. I didn't. I didn't do that. I'm not. I'm not to blame. But in one sense, we are all to blame because we have continued to turn our back on God. We've. Isaiah puts it this: We all like sheep have turned astray. We wandered off on our own way. 
and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So it doesn't make any difference that you're 2,000 years separated from this event in history when we talk about the place of the cross of Christ and the importance of it. It's foreshadowed, it's anticipated, it's, it's proclaimed, it's foretold. All of those things are truth about the gospel of Christ and the cross of Christ. The ultimate question comes down to it in terms of what are you going to do about it? Now, you're all good folk. You know, you came to church on Sunday morning. That's that's pretty good. There's a lot of folks that aren't here today that are doing a whole lot of other things. And that's not a matter of a craft fair even. I don't know. That's next week. That's next week's problem. But but for today, for today, you've chosen to be here. You can you can come to church and you can go through all the motions and you can just get the smiley face going and just kind of be cool and just be a good Christian person. But, you know, you can be in the church and lost. You can be lost in the church. And I'm not talking about finding your way around the building. I'm talking about relationally to God. You can be lost. And the message of the gospel is really quite simple. It says, look and live. Look and live. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and urged the people to look to that serpent and live, you today have that same opportunity. And I have no—I don't know you well enough to know your testimony, how you came to faith in Christ, or if you just kind of grew up in the church or you think you're here by osmosis of some kind— that walking in a church makes you a Christian. It doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a used car lot makes you an automobile. It just does not work that way. It, it's, it's only an issue of if I have fully come to the place where I understand I am lost without Christ. And unless I embrace him, I'm going to die without life eternal, die without Christ. So here's what I'd like to do as we close this morning. Um, I'm just going to pause for prayer. That cross of Christ uh, is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. It's predicted in the New. It still confronts us today. In the gospel story, the scriptures talk about how two people who were crucified with Jesus had to make a response. One was a soldier, the other was a thief. One says, surely this man was the son of God. The other says, Jesus, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. And it always calls us to a place of response. So here's the invite today. If you have never come to the place in your life where you have publicly or personally accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I'm going to close our time in prayer this morning, and simply invite you to pray a prayer after me. And make that your own personal prayer. Uh, nothing magical in the words, but simply make that your personal prayer. If, if, if that's been your situation, you're a good person, but you're, you're still on the outside looking in, and today you realize it. So I want to close in prayer. So will you join me as we pray? Father, you are the one who is the searcher of hearts. You know each person that has chosen to be here today, and you have allowed them to be here. No accidents with you.
It may have involved our desire to come, our will to come, but we're here by divine appointment. And so, Father, I ask right now that you would be the one who is the searcher of each row and each seat in this place. And as you speak to our hearts, the hearts of each one, if there's one here today who has never come to that place where they know for sure that they have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and received the gift anticipated from of old of eternal life in the Son of Man lifted up among us, that today would be the first day of that choice to do that. And that would or could come about by simply saying something like this. Father, I thank you for your love to me. I thank you that you planned out a way to you that I couldn't do in my own. I thank you that you gave your son for my sin. And he died on a cross and rose from the grave to demonstrate the power of God. Thank you for the simplicity of your word that says God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so this morning, Father, I ask as the searcher of our hearts, the thoughts and intents of our heart, that you will just have your way in our individual lives. And I ask you, Father, to minister to each need as you know it. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us. For these things we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Now, I I think we're just going to wrap it right here uh, for today. Um, Boy, I hope you were listening to the words of the songs as you sang them earlier. There is some powerful theology in in that music. Um, just good, good spirit of things. And I would invite you, if, if you were at a point today where you made that prayer, uh, I encourage you to talk to someone maybe you came with or talk to, to come up and let me know or just to make sure if you have any further questions that we can walk through anything that we need to to see how God would just encourage your heart and confirm his work in, in your life today. So... Uh, so that's how we'll, that's how we'll wrap it today. So let, let's stand uh, stand together. Uh, just uh, let me let me pray over you one more time. If you would, uh, Father, I've had the chance to meet some folks for the first time today, and I thank you that they are known to you, and maybe a few more folks here. And thank you that we are part of the family of God by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And my prayer now is that your grace and your mercy and your peace will rest and abide, settle down on these people and meet them at their points of need, encourage their hearts. May faith rise in their heart and soul today in new measure to trust you for every need that they have. And as we go from this place, we have entered to worship. Now we get to exit to serve you. And I pray your blessing upon them, enabling from the Holy Spirit of God, upon whom the smile of heaven uh, comes to us, from whom that smile of heaven comes to us as we go. 
So bless this people in a very special way this week, mindful of the heart of gratitude that you long for them to show toward you. And we'll thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say amen and amen. God bless you. You be sure to greet one another as you go today.